And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Lights up and away we ayo. Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks Inc. Classic Factory. Proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network, I'm your host, Trey Kirby. 100% frazzled right now, and I'm joined by our local <laughs> F1 expert and the biggest B. Arthur fan I know, Graydon Gordian. Graydon, what's up, dude? Not much, man. I mean, I'm uh, I'm here in beautiful New Jersey, and you know, I was I was I was hanging out with my in-laws last night, watching Golden Girls, thinking, my God, B. Arthur is it's just is pure fire and she just is killing them out there these jokes are fantastic so you're right i am a huge fan i've been no arthur pure fire you heard it here first uh definitely the first time that's been said in 2022 is your um is your mean cat named after b arthur or just uh, the mean cat is named after b arthur no no she is she is named after b arthur yes even the 13 years ago when i got the cat when we lived in chicago illinois i thought to myself b arthur's great i'm naming my cat b arthur a longtime B. Arthur fan. We got another longtime B. Arthur fan behind the scenes right now. JD, our team principal, making the magic happen here in the paddock, and he's going to need it for me because, Graydon, like I said, I'm 100% frazzled right now. Dog groomer was taking too long. I hopped on here thinking I was going to get in the stream at the perfect time. Next thing I know, I got to restart my entire computer. I can't see the intros. As far as I know, we got a black background here, but as long as you and I are able to talk about this incredible race, we're going to be doing all right. I'll tell you one thing. You know who was frazzled? Carlos Sainz. And you know who ended up having a great Sunday? Carlos Sainz. You can always come back, if there's anything that the British Grand Prix tells us, you can always come back from perhaps a rocky start. So That's exactly right, Graydon. It ain't over till it's over. But we've got some people here who have been with us since the start. So shout out to everybody joining us live in the slip stream team here on YouTube, or if you're listening to the podcast later, thank you very much. Drop a comment, leave a thumb on this YouTube stream, send us a five-star review, just engage with the No Breaks boys. We got ourselves a classic race to break down, great and best one of the season so far in my books, but we got to start where we always do with Quali on Saturday, a wet one, which always makes for an interesting grid and oh baby. Was it interesting? Up top, on pole for the first time in his career, Carlos Sainz. Like you said, Graydon, he's followed by Max Verstappen in P2, Leclerc in P3, Perez in P4. Kind of our usual top four, if not the usual order. Graydon, what stuck out to you from Saturday? Well, first and foremost, I mean, Carlos taking pole you know, was fantastic. The maiden pole of his career and just a, a terrific 
uh, a terrific Saturday for him, where oftentimes, you know, let's be real, when it comes down to Saturday and the pressure of qualifying, you tend to see guys like Max and Charles hook it up and perform at their highest level. Both of them made mistakes at key moments. Both of them left time out there on the track. Carlos capitalized on that. That was awesome. The other thing that... that um, you know, struck me was is that Mercedes brought uh, a lot of upgrades. They brought a, a front suspension upgrade, a side pod inlet upgrade, floor upgrades, a rear wing upgrade. All of these things were paying dividends in qualifying, in my opinion, and they would on Sunday as well. But I thought they looked quick. I thought they looked impressive. They looked that much closer to being genuine challengers to Red Bull and Ferrari in terms of actually winning Grand Prix. So that was yeah. You know, it was, it was a great, I mean, let's be real. Wet qualifyings are the best. They shake everything up. They're, if every, it was Bernie Eccleston used to want to like have sprinklers and things like that at races <laughs> to like introduce water. And like, if we're going to do that, it should definitely be on Saturdays because that's where, that's where it is the most fun. Sure. Well, it definitely made for a mixed up grid. We even saw Nicholas Latifi make it into Q3. You mentioned all of the upgrades uh, that Mercedes had that Hamilton and Russell were able to enjoy. There were upgrades for the Williams team, but only for Alexander Albon. So pretty crazy to see Latifi actually get into Q3 for the first time. I was I was loving it for him. It was uh, very similar to me to like George Russell back when he was at Williams when it have a lucky wet qualifying and you just feel so good that it doesn't matter, that it doesn't actually count for anything. But very cool to see Latifi have a little bit of success with the old beater car. Yeah, I that is... I I can't believe I didn't mention that. You're absolutely right. I mean, Latifi, who's getting so dogged this season, everybody's so down on him, so assured he's out making the Q3 is awesome. But also, Albon's car, to say they brought upgrades is like to put it lightly. The list, I've literally got the list of, th- I, can't, I can't even remember this off the top of my head. The list of things that are different about Albon's car are the front wing, the front corner, the side pod inlet, the floor fences, the floor body, the floor edges, the diffuser, the engine cover, and the rear corner. So it's like, I mean, it's basically a new car. It's like Albon, they had totally different cars for all intents and purposes. Uh, and, and in theory, Albon's is the superior one. So, I mean, awesome stuff for Latifi. Super excited for him to get that. They seem so thrilled in the Williams garage, which was, which was cool. Yeah, so tons of upgrades for Albon. He also did have a very cute helmet that we were batting around in the group chat with Nora. He had a whole bunch of animals, but, uh, you know, I guess that was probably the most successful part of the weekend for Latifi. The other interesting thing I thought that came out of qualifying was with regards to signs qualifying number one. A great tweet was going around from Nate Saunders, who mentioned that Carlos Sainz becomes only the sixth driver in history who has car in his name to finish on pole. Uh, I don't know if this is a widely known statistic, Graydon, like if you have to keep track of the car drivers in the sport, but do you know any of the other ones? I I could name two of the other ones off the top of my head. Alberto Ascari. Nice. Ascari. And then Carlos Reutemann. But... I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have gotten the others. I could, I'll admit that those are the only two, if I'm being honest, that I'm like, I could have told you that, but I don't think I would have gotten the other ones. The other ones being, wait, hold on. 
Jose Carlos Pace. Okay. Ricardo Patrice, who I, you know, I, I do know. And then Giancarlo Fisichella, uh, who I actually, I, I, if the people on the Slipstream team know Giancarlo, I was like a little bit like, who the heck is that? <laughs> I was like, I, so I don't, you know, at some point my my F1 knowledge has its has its endpoints. I was like, I don't remember that guy. So, um, you know, but that is a, I don't know. That's a good stat. We should be tracking uh that is a you know we should be tracking everybody with the word car in their name and how they've done compared to everybody else so you would think it would be at least a little bit of an advantage to have car in your name or maybe a disadvantage because as people are mentioning here in the slipstream team no daniel ricardo on the list that guy's never had a poll in his life no his name's ricciardo he doesn't have the word car in his name oh he doesn't have to it's not spelled car that's yeah. 100% right, Great, And I made uh, the same mistake that we've seen on a, an F1 Chiron every now and then, dropping yeah. the I from the late Ricardo. Ricciardo. Uh, of course, I started doing the dumbest possible thing when I saw this tweet going around was uh, thinking if every F1 driver had car in their name, like Carl's Leclerc, that's an easy one. Carl's Lindsay is a Perez. I love the uh, Alpine team of Esteban Ocar and Carnando Alonso. What about, is it Lewis Carlton? See, this is where I started struggling. Once I got through those four, <laughs> I had to start allowing the vans into the paddock as well. Max Van Stappen, Louis oh, Van Van, Van Van counts as like an alternate yeah, car. Yeah. Or Vando like, Norris and my favorite, Vando. Vans yeah. Roll. Yeah. Not Lance Stroll, Vans Roll. Anyways, that was uh, qualifying. A wet quality is always fun, and so is firing the pun gun when you least expect. But on to the race. Like we said, the race of the season so far, and I would say probably the last 10 laps of this race were the best driving we've seen so far this season. But we'll take a quick look at the points finishers before we get into breaking everything down. On top in P1 for the first time in his career, Carlos Sainz going from pole to P1 in a roundabout way, I think we have to say. He's followed by Sergio Perez in P2, a crazy drive for him as well. Lewis Hamilton finishes on the podium at his home race in P3. Then we've got Leclerc in P4, followed by Alonso, Norris, Max Verstappen down in P7 after he had uh, a piece of another car stuck underneath his for the entire time. Then we got Mick Schumacher in eighth, his first points of his career, Sebastian Vettel, and Kevin Magnussen bringing home the final point there for finishing in 10th place. Graydon, lots to talk about from this race, but what's your big takeaway from the British Grand Prix? I mean, gosh, one takeaway is hard. That whole top 10 list is full Crazy, of man. interesting, like weird things to, to talk about. I think we could talk about every single one of those guys. I mean, so one of my big takeaways is is that we talked last week about how, or last episode about how, while highly improbable, it was not implausible for Ferrari to get, and for Charles Leclerc to get back into the championship battle as long as they capitalized on the instances where Red Bull got unlucky or shot themselves in the foot or something went awry. And the reality is, is that happened to Red Bull on Sunday and they fundamentally failed to capitalize. I know they won the race, but they were running one too late 
a 1-2 was plausible, or at least two podium spots were still very much on the table for them. They failed to make that happen via what, from, in my opinion, was a strategic miscalculation with failing to pit Charles Leclerc under safety car after Ocon's car stops late in the race. And I think this is just yet another strategic error that puts them even further behind the eight ball and makes their comeback even more unlikely, which is so disappointing because I, I thought to me this this was so exciting to watch because I think as we correctly predicted last week, despite the fact that Red Bull looks in control of the championship, Ferrari and increasingly Mercedes absolutely have the pace to make these races interesting. And the races still are going to be awesome, even if maybe this season-long arc might be increasingly less in doubt. So that for me, that's my that's my big takeaway is that Ferrari's indecision and strategic self-defeating nature strike again, uh, which is frustrating. As a Charles Leclerc fan, I'm just sitting there like just like needing like a stress ball over here to like because it's it is it's 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 punishing to watch them throw away some of these races like this. Yeah, so. the Tifosi were not taking it well <laughs> on Sunday, despite the fact that their driver won for the first time in his career. As Manuel saying here in the Slipstream team, Ferrari can still throw away the strategy even with no pressure. They had a one-two right there, Graydon. Their argument, which you've heard from Mattia Bonato, was, hey, this is what everybody does. Look at what Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton did in Abu Dhabi last year. We're not pitting from P1, but they gave up track position with signs saying, okay, we're, we're fine to give away P2 if it's going to uh, strengthen his race going forward. I thought it was crazy that they that they definitely prioritized signs ahead of Leclerc, knowing that the championship rests with Leclerc. That does not happen with Red Bull. That does not happen no. with Mercedes. Even if the number two guy is having the better race, they put the championship guy in the front for sure. I, I also, it's not just that it's... It's not just that they were slow to make these decisions, that they weren't prioritizing Leclerc. It's you get this sense that Leclerc's chasing down signs. He's behind him. He's faster than him, and you get this weird sense that they're just now thinking about this for the first time. Like yes. in real time, they're hashing out whether or not they should let him by and what Carlos needs to do in order for him to not let him by, as opposed to going into the race being like, no, we, you are equal drivers and you got to fight it out, or Charles is the one that's in the championship and you're not, we're prioritizing him, and that being crystal clear from before the lights go out, right? And that is always the case at Mercedes and Red Bull. They have very clear directives going in. And Ferrari, they seem like they're like... <laughs> It's like, oh, I never even considered what we would do if they happened to be racing each other. Like, this is such a common occurrence that they're so slow to make a decision around, which is shocking. And honestly, if they make a decision more quickly, probably alleviates all their future problems because if they quickly let Charles pass and Charles has even more distance between him and Carlos, doing the double stack when the safety car comes is less of a challenge. That's the reason they didn't do it, right? Is they thought, if we do the double stack, Carlos is going to lose his place to Lewis Hamilton. Um, but at the end of the day, you were going to lose places either way if you left Charles out on the hard. Charles ends up not on the podium. So it's clearly a mistake, but it's also, it's just these things where 
it's both the pace of their thinking, the clarity of their thinking. It's it's not at the level of the other championship contenders, quote unquote, and it, it, it's costing them big time. So yeah, but it definitely feels a little bit like I remember my first race. You know, like they're not expecting to be put in a position where they need to make this call, despite the fact that they've been one of the two fastest teams for the entirety of this season so far. Whereas with Mercedes and Red Bull, they've been racing for championships the past eight seasons. You know, they know the moves that they're going to potentially have to make, but it does feel like every time. Uh, Ferrari is up against the wall with a decision to be made. They just panic a little bit. I saw, or you heard on the broadcast some that it was going to be tough for Ferrari to make the call with regards to when the safety guard came out and where Leclerc actually was with regards to the pit stop. They would have only had 11 seconds to make the decision, but this seems like a decision that could have been made in two seconds and brought him in no problem. It's to me, it's yeah, that's people say that they only had 11 seconds. Literally, the moment you they have the broadcast on, they have all the data, they have the data, they can see the pace of the other cars. The minute Ocon is starting to slow down and you sniff the possibility that there might be a safety car, a virtual safety car, even if you don't box them yet, you start prepping to box them, right? Like everybody in the garage should start hustling to get both sets of tires ready for the possibility of doing the double stack. It shouldn't even be, nobody should even have to tell you that's what's going on. It's like, there's there's a possible safety car in the next five seconds. Let's go right now, right? It should be automatic. You know, it's there. And this is, I understand that's fast thinking. It's a lot of pressure, but you're the pit crew on an F1 team. It's a high pressure sport. A lot like, of things happen pretty quickly in F1. Yeah, you gotta be on top of things. Yeah, it's a high pressure sport. This is what you signed up for. It's like, so I, you know, so. However, not the only takeaway. Lots of other exciting stuff happened. I mean, first of all, you've got to give a lot of credit to what they've done at Brackley and what the Mercedes team has done because let's be real, Hamilton looked incredible out there. There were lots of instances where Hamilton looked like the fastest, was the fastest man on track. Um, and, you know, I don't know, you know, if there hadn't been damage to Max's car, would that have been the case? You know, I don't know, but certainly with, you know, you know, with, and similarly, you know, Charles's car had some damage that he was battling through as well, which is actually, I think we're underplaying how impressive it was, mm-hmm. how fast Charles, how well Charles drove with damage to his front wing the whole time. But Lewis looked incredible. And I think Mercedes at least looks back in terms of their ability to fight even closer and closer and harder and harder for any of these these given races, you know, so that's that's exciting to think that we're back in that kind of 2017, 2018 2019 era where like legitimately maybe three plus teams are fighting for the top podium spot each week, which was more characteristic of of those years than the last couple. We'll definitely get into it a little bit later, but you can tell Mercedes car was better because there was barely any porpoising talk uh, this weekend and it didn't seem as as violent when you were seeing the onboards. Uh, with Russell during quality or with Hamilton during the race. Kind of too bad we didn't get to see much of a race uh, from Russell on Sunday. But also, I got to say, a little bit of a double-edged sword with regards to Mercedes this weekend. 
this is the race for Lewis Hamilton to win. Like with uh, Verstappen picking up the piece of the Alpha Tauri underneath his car with damage to Leclerc's front wing, uh, with Perez dropping down to 17th earlier in the race when he had nose damage. You saw so many times when Hamilton's having these incredible overtakes, like in front of the crowd. I feel like he was waiting to pass only in front of the crowd so he could get the massive pop every time. And it seemed like he had the better strategy too, pitting for his hard tires way after both Sainz and Leclerc did, thinking we're going to be able to outlast them once we get down to the end of the race. He did have a slow stop later on, but that Ocon safety car ended Hamilton's chance of winning that race. I think if either way, if there's no safety car there, he probably catches both Ferraris. I mean, there's no way we're going to know on that one, but he would at least have a chance. I don't know if I agree that he catches both because I think we saw with Leclerc how hard it was to pass if you didn't have meaningfully better pace. Like, I I think he would have caught signs. I think he would have got past signs. But it did look to me like once they were both out there on hards and their hards were both warmed up, Leclerc and Hamilton were doing similar-ish lap times. I think, honestly, the race was Leclerc's if, if Ocon doesn't screw it, if doesn't mess it up for him. I mean, unintentionally, it's not Ocon's fault, but, you know, if the, if, if, if he doesn't get unlucky with that. Um, but, but this did, to me, feel like the race, like, the right things happened for Mercedes, for Hamilton to be able to win this race, with their car being a little bit better, with, you know, strategy and car problems for both of their rivals ahead of them. Obviously, Hamilton knows the track pretty well. This was the one that he had a shot at winning, and I definitely thought he was going to pull it off. I can tell we're both homers for our guys here because the way I I look at it, Leclerc fell off, man. There ain't no way Leclerc (laughs) was going to be able to hold off Hamilton with with tires that were 10 laps uh, more used. That's when they would have been lighting up for Lewis, but unfortunately we will uh, never never know. We didn't get to see that wicked overtake uh, at the end and a cool battle between Leclerc and Hamilton, but man, when it was Leclerc, and Perez and Hamilton and Leclerc and Perez both go off wide a little bit. Hamilton zooms in uh, on the inside to pull into P2. That was some incredible stuff. Great move. Yeah. In general, that was that stretch there after the, you know, not the immediate lap after the safety car comes in, because in that we see Lewis and Perez battling. And then, and actually we see Carlos and, and Charles battling. But once things kind of settle in and, and Lewis and Perez catch Leclerc, you know, that is, that's the best racing we've seen this season. I think you saw, you know, incredibly gutsy racing, incredibly hard racing guys fighting back and forth. Charles in what I thought was uh, probably as good of an evidence. Honestly, there's no better moment in his career so far to me that speaks to the quality of Charles as a driver than literally those couple of laps where he's losing those places. I know the outcome is negative, but he's driving so well and so hard to not just get ripped past by those guys and to fight back, to overtake Lewis Hamilton on the outside going through Cop's Corner, to fight back in place. These are things that are exceptionally hard to do on equal tires or in a better car, much less on much older, slower tires. I mean, so he he really left it all out there, not to mention that Lewis and Perez, I think, just absolutely seized the moment. I mean, Perez here, he, I mean, it's incredible. I, I honestly, I'm not even really sure how he made it all the way back. I mean, he just did it slowly but surely, overtaking cars, chunking his way through, and then having what was a, you know, uh, 
the the safety car probably benefited him more than anybody yeah. else. He really was not even close to looking at a podium when that happened. And then, you know, now, you know, found himself in second. So he was the biggest beneficiary of that. But that luck aside, huge credit to Sergio for an incredible race. And, you know, coming back from what was a very unlucky uh, very yeah, I think he like maybe dropped after. down to like a P seventeen, something like that. He was pretty low after uh, after the first restart, which brings us to another big takeaway uh, from this race. Thank God for the halo system. This was one of the scariest crashes we've seen. Zhou Guan Yu, corner one of lap one. You know, just a lot of congestion at the start of the race. Uh, Latifi kind of jets up, and I think it's a uh, Russell comes across to to cut off Pierre Gasly. They touch a little bit. Russell kind of hits into Joe, which flips him over, and he just goes scooting upside down for, I don't know, he went quite a distance before finally yeah. getting into the gravel. I guess his his tire probably yards. struck a little bit of the gravel, which flipped him over the, the barriers there, kind of stuck in between the barriers. Very scary stuff. The roll bar, I, or what's it called, Graydon? The where, roll where, hoop, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, roll yeah. hoop just broke off, so it was a pretty flat slide. Very scary stuff. You know a crash is bad when they're replaying it afterwards and you're hearing Brundle say, the only reason we're showing you this is because Joe walked away. And honestly, incredible that he looked completely unfazed and unscathed after everything that happened. But man, that was a scary one. Oh my gosh, and, uh, insane. I mean, definitely, I think, shows you how far that they've come in terms of safety in the sport. You know, I mean, there, there definitely are crashes like this where you know, guys have lost their lives in, in previous years, you know, where we're, where we're seeing guys survive nowadays. Uh, and then, yeah. And, and honestly, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of credit, it, it kind of ruined his race, but it, you know, who deserves a shout out is George Russell for stopping uh, the car and going over to check in on uh, Wang Yuzhou. You know, it looked like he probably could have brought his car back to the pits and changed tires and can and continue the race but you know he stopped to go make sure the other driver was okay kind of ruined his race it's a little bit unclear what happened there he claimed that he told the steward or like the you know the people there helping clean it up not to not to touch it and they ended up loading it onto the back of a truck which then they he couldn't drive it anymore right you know because they'd already uh intervened and kind of aided him in the race it's a shame for george uh, especially at his home race but you know, he deserves a special shout out for being, I, I think it's nice when you see that camaraderie and the fact that the guys really care about each other. And I don't know, that's, that was, a, it was a, it was a moment that I'm glad just feels like it's a touching moment and not a tragic moment because Definitely. in the end, everybody was fine. It, yeah, ex so. exactly right. I thought that was a nice show of sportsmanship and unfortunate for Russell that that's how his streak this season uh, had to come to an end. With regards to the collision, is it just a, a matter of a lot of people trying to get the inside line, trying to get the best line through the first corner? I mean, it seems like, you know, wh you know why did these things happen and where do they happen? It, it's definitely an instance where F1 courses don't have equivalent amounts of safety measures at every point along the course. They actually optimize for moments where crashes are most likely to happen. This was a big criticism earlier this year in Saudi Arabia, where guys kept crashing at that one point and drivers were saying, you know, that this one wall is not properly, you know, supported given 
the likelihood of a crash here. It should be at a higher, you know, a higher safety standard. And that's a space where I guess it is a high safety standard because you're going into a corner off of it. But in general, starts are kind of the the thing that throws a wrench in that philosophy because it is so many cars going so fast. The, the other example of that is Albon hitting the inside wall at a very fast pace, I think, after Vettel touches the back of him. That, you know, that's just a concrete barrier on the inside in between the main straight and the pits. You know, that's an area where they don't anticipate somebody spinning into it at that speed. You know, so there's a lot of there. It's just a moment where I think that honestly, some of these worst crashes you see in F1 history, you know, they come right at the start of races sometimes because it's just so many people clustered around and and such a domino effect of a small error cascading and, and rippling outward across the grid. So I don't, you know, I don't know if it means that you do anything differently with the cars or change anything. I, I, I'm not sure if there's a concrete practical takeaway as much as it's just... Uh, you know, but if they're if if they do have some recommendations coming from it, I've kind of all for them because in general, I feel as if we we could we can never we're never done doing enough to make the sport safe for drivers. It's kind of the way to put it put it most simply. So yeah, very scary crash. Uh, you don't see the cars flip over <laughs> as often these days. So anytime that happens, uh, very scary. But I mean, also awesome to see Joe Guan Yu just. Uh, you know, talking to the stewards, no problem afterwards. Not even a hair on his head messed up. But, uh, man, crazy, crazy stuff. Also important from this race, we hit on it a little bit earlier, Graydon. First points in Formula One for Mick Schumacher. Had a fun little battle with Max Verstappen there at the end. Uh, scored more points than Kevin Magnussen did. Obviously, first time in his career that he's did that. And I think uh, I think Magnussen even out-qualified him uh, on Saturday. So, I was happy to see Mick finally... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What's Lee always say? Bust his egg? No, that sounds disgusting. Break his duck. <laughs> Break, Break his, his duck. duck. I think that's what you say when you go from zero to to whatever it is. Uh, from zero to not zero. Uh, what'd you think of Schumacher getting some points? Dude, it was awesome. I mean, so happy for him. So glad to kind of get that monkey off his back. Um, you know, happy to see the... You know, both the Haases, I think, perform well after, you know, especially at coming out of Montreal, which was a like a, a kind of a catastrophe for the team, you know, to come home with no points out of that scenario. But also, not just Schumacher get points, but to be, like, in there and fighting for it. Those last few, so easy at that point late in the race to just settle in, bring the car home, and collect your first championship points. But he wanted it, man. He was scrapping with... Verstappen right up there in the end totally unintimidated by the fact that he was going wheel to wheel with the world champion who of course we all know was in a hobbled car but it doesn't change the fact that for Schumacher he was unintimidated by the moment trying to bring it in I was kind of freaking out on his behalf because I was like my god if you mess this up and like <laughs> totally. crash right now it's gonna be so upsetting no, like I, so annoying exactly <laughs> but, right it was like fingers crossed that Watching yeah, I, through my hands, like, don't blow it, man. He's had so many races, I feel like, uh, so far this season, where he's been running in the points, you know, in the la- in the last 10 laps of the race, only to see maybe uh, just a bad decision, the car slows down, or he crashes. Uh, so to see him going wheel to wheel with Verstappen, I thought that was very cool. You're not going to see those two actually battling for points all that often this season. So to get some experience against one of the better guys, on the grid. That was really cool. And like you're saying, 
thanks to the safety car stopping with like 10 laps left or going in with 10 laps left, we basically got a mini sprint race, which was really fun to watch. Yeah. You know, like we had, I think Alonzo was like, yeah, there was some great action up front that I got to watch, which I thought was a, <laughs> which was a pretty funny quote. But at least, you know, it kind of felt like top eight were battling for positions, uh, all things considered. So that ended up being um, a really fun race thanks to Ocon's safety car. Speaking of which, I mean, I think what, you know, we've talked about a lot of the main folks that, you know, Carlos and Charles, Max and Sergio and the Haas guys, but Alonso coming in fifth, not to be scoffed at, another weekend where I think the Alpine looks good, looks racy, and are, and probably looks like the best car in the field that's not a Merc, Red Bull, or Ferrari. I mean, you know that, and mm-hmm. Lando has a nice race as well, so I don't want to say that McLaren's totally out of the battle for fourth and get, you know, again, Lando puts together a nice weekend, but the Alpine looks good. Alonso looks like he is fully in control of that car. And as long as they just, you know, aren't running into some misfortune or having any engine bugs or whatever, they're putting in really good results out there. So that's a that's a competitive team for sure. Yeah, right now McLaren has a six-point lead over Alpine for fourth in the Constructors' Championship. They would have had it. They would be sitting in fourth right now, I suppose, if uh, Ocon didn't have to... Uh, retire early with, I think they said it was a fuel pump problem, right? Otmar Snaffauer was not happy to see that happen. Uh, it's bad when you're pulling over to the side uh, late in the race. But you're right, Alonzo had it going. They've been a competitive team all year. They've just had a lot of reliability problems. So I, I feel like, uh, you know, I think with regards to the difference between them and McLaren, Ricciardo throw the eye in there, has been the worst driver of the four of them. And it's been mostly reliability issues, I think, that have set Alpine back. Whereas with McLaren, you're getting solid performances from Norris and you never know what to get from Ricardo from week in to week out. The other thing I want to ask you, Graydon, uh, Carlos Sainz ended up winning this race. This was his first race win of his career, also his first pole position of his career. Can you name the five most recent drivers to have won their first race in the same one where they won their first poll. Does that make sense? So, like, what signs did this weekend? Who are the five most recent? Five most recent. Yeah. God. Yeah, two uh, of them are currently on the grid. Okay, one I'm going to say, was Max Verstappen in poll when he won his maiden race? Or no? He's not on the He's list. not on the list? Okay, because he won his, I believe, his first ever race in F1, but I, yeah, right, he wasn't there. Um, wow. Who of them? Okay, the answer is, it's like, no, I can't, but I'll take a stab at it. I, <laughs> here we go, yeah. Okay, yeah, here yeah. we go. Okay, five guesses. Lewis Hamilton. Yes, Lewis Hamilton, Canada, 2007. He is the okay. fifth most recent, so the longest to go. Longest he and, longest and only... to go. It, it happened in 2012 to two different drivers, uh, and then in 2009 and 2008. Okay, and Hamilton's was 07. Mark Weber. Mark Weber. That's a good one from 2009. That happened in Germany. Okay. Uh, Daniel Ricardo. No Ricardo. Ah. Okay. Okay. I'll. 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 I'll... Um, you got another, this happened in a Red Bull, though. And, I mean, that's a pretty good hint, I think. Wait, if it's not, oh, is it Vettel? Vettel, Vettel was, oh, yeah, okay. Sebastian Vettel in okay. 2008 in Italy. 
Uh, The other two are names that we have said on this podcast. Uh, One is the driver number that I think I would wear uh, if I were a driver. And the other is probably the most surprising champion of the past 10 years, I would say. Most surprising champion of the last 10 years. So is it last 10 years? So it's Nico Rosberg is one. Nico Rosberg, China, 2012. Okay. And then the other would be the number you would wear. I think you, so I think 20, he said he was so like the only No, I think yeah. he's the only number 13 or something like that that's out there. Uh I don't know if that's true. I'm just freestyling Wait, off the top. It's of my not head. it's not My god, I don't know. Yeah, don't this know. would be the hardest one. Pastor Maldonado. So oh, 2012. Okay. I wouldn't have gotten that. That's great. I mean, I love that. But I wouldn't have gotten that. You're right. Yeah, we that would have been a tough about, one. We did talk about Pastor Maldonado, and you did talk about. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So prior to signs. Got, I, wouldn't got, I wouldn't have gotten there. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten there. Yeah. Prior to signs, it was Pastor Maldonado, Nico Rosberg, Mark Weber, Sebastian Vettel, and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, way back, Canada, 2007. So, I don't know, Graydon, I think we hit on everything. Signs winning, uh, the Leclerc shenanigans, you know, Verstappen with a piece of an Alpha Tauri underneath his floor for quite some time. I will say, a lot of floor talk this weekend. More floor, floor talk, talk than I can remember. Also odd to me that there's a piece of wood on the bottom of a Formula One car. What's that yeah. all about? It's about um, the, there is... An amount of basically, like basically, like to put it simply, like your your the floor of the car can only like smack the ground so often, and if too much of the wood wears away, literally measure the wear. It means that you've like you've like been you've been like making too much contact with the floor. Uh, I believe is what the what the point of the wood is. So the wood is a gauge. That's incredible. I believe the, I believe the wood is a gauge. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe that that's. I mean, it's p- partly as a function, just to, as a barrier. But I believe um, it's there. But the real barrier is like the like the titanium plate. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's like there's the metal plate that that sparks off. But I believe the wood functions as a gauge uh, to note like, and you can only lose like, you know. So many, sh- so many slivers. millimeters or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we got uh, Joe Guan Yu's crash, and we got Mick Schumacher's first points. As far as I'm concerned, the only thing left, Graydon, is to hand out our beans. Who are you giving the full beans driver of the weekend to after the British Grand Prix? Wow, mm, this is a tough one. That's a tough one. I think there's because I I can see an argument for four or five different people. For this week. Sometimes it's obvious. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna I'm gonna see your thunder because I suspect this is who you're gonna go, but I'm gonna go with Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I think Lewis really drove I say that because Lewis for me drove end to end a brilliant race. Putting it on the podium was really impressive, but also he just is driving hard, driving fast, setting fastest laps, giving it full beans in the spirit of the award from end to end. I will say my runner-up for the award this week was, oddly enough, gonna actually be Leclerc, who, despite the misfortune, I also actually think drove, kind of gave it the full beans, like drove really, really hard end to end and drove a very quick, very impressive race with a damaged wing. Those are the two guys I was most impressed by, even if actually... They ended up a little bit further down the standings than I expected them to with, you know, 15 laps left. 
Yep, uh, I think those are a couple of solid choices. I guess you can throw Verstappen into the mix as well for, you know, fighting through uh, what he and the and the pit wall couldn't figure out as a problem until after the race and they got a chance to look at the underside of the car. He was still competitive, even though he knew he had no chance of winning that race. Uh, Hamilton, I think, has a solid case. Leclerc has a solid case. But first, I got to ask you about these, Graydon. Still got my kidney beans. The only other beans I could find, though, black-eyed black peas. peas. Uh, is a black-eyed pea a bean? I think of it as kind of a pea. You would think, but they put it in a bushes container, and you know, they're famous for their beans. On the yeah, back, they've push- got a re- recipe for chicken and beans, so these peas are beans, and I'm are giving say- these full peas to Carlos Sainz. Oh, you're such, a, you're such a sap. Such a I'm being a bit of a softie <laughs> here, but I feel like we're kind of looking past Carlos Sainz. I feel like this is going to be the least remembered first pole and first win ever. Like, nobody even cares that Carlos Sainz won because Leclerc and Verstappen lost, so they're just like, oh, whatever, Carlos Sainz. But this is a major accomplishment for him to actually pull this off. I don't necessarily think he was the best driver, but things worked out the best for him, and he seemed to at least have the best strategy in his own head because when Ferrari gave him, like, soft team orders, I would say is maybe the best way to put it uh, when they were going for the restart after the Ocon safety car, and they're like, Back up the pack. Back up the pack. And he's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Then they're just going to pass me a lot easier. He knew that he had the better tires uh, than Leclerc. He knew that he was the one who actually had a chance of winning the race. And he took it upon himself to win the race. So you're getting my black-eyed peas, Carlos Sainz. I love that. Somebody, I'm trying to find, oh, it was, it was Nolioli who was pointing out in the slipstream that the that every time Carlos Sainz like, basically disobeys Ferrari's strategy, it pays huge dividends. He did the same thing in Monaco. They wanted him to pit, and he was like, no, we should stay out and just pit once straight to slicks, paid dividends. Ignoring their recommendations here, paid dividends. In general, I think the the big takeaway is whatever the pit wall tells you to do if you're a Ferrari driver, it's like, do the opposite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ferrari is, they're Costanza right now. Whatever you think is the right move, the other thing is the right move. So, <laughs> yeah, they got to get on, uh, they got to get on their Jerry, at least. I don't know if they're going to have the Kramer luck going forward, but uh, fun race, fun to talk about with you, Graydon. We're going to take a very short break, and when we get back, we got some news. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Back with no breaks. Uh, Mentioned it earlier, Graydon. Uh, Maybe because Mercedes sent a whole bunch of updates, uh, upgrades to their car. We didn't have quite as much porpoising talk over the weekend, but... We did get a little bit of news on the oscillation front, Graydon. New metric just dropped! Oh, this is big time. We have been waiting for this, Graydon. Uh, The FIA put out 
a crazy equation here. Uh, I don't really know how to explain this, Graydon, but I've always wanted nice. to know. This is a nice your, metric. What's your favorite variable? Which, which of my which variable? It's really yeah, hard it's to choose. Yeah, just any of your variables. They're so good, huh? I, and as a function, hmm. Yeah, so math. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea. I, I honestly don't know what any of this means. Yeah, same. Uh, it's I all math to me. I was happy, yeah. uh, you know, I took an AP math class my senior year of high school so that I wouldn't have to deal with math anymore after after that. And it worked out perfectly up until now, Graydon. I mean, I can handle three-point percentages. How many threes did you make versus a tens? Yeah. But yeah, once you start yeah, throwing yeah. sigmas and deltas in there, I'm a little no, bit th- lost. There's way too many parts of the Greek alphabet in this. There's also not not one but two loops. They loop the loop. Do you see that at the end there? There's like a rect loop and then parentheses end loop. It's a double loop on this. Yeah, there's a lot of rect think, in here. Yeah, which I got to think is, yeah, there's two recs. It's double rect. It's double loops. I got to think that this is one of the best metrics we've ever seen for that reason alone. I hope they add it to the broadcast. Like, you know, we'll see the intervals from the leader or from how far you are from the car ahead of you and also i would love to know your oscillations and how many joules per 100 meters <laughs> you're getting but yeah the, all yeah. i can take from this Graydon, is seeing an equation this long means we are not at the end of porpoising here and we're gonna have some regulations further on down the line probably for next season yeah i mean listen i, th- I think you know obviously to the people who are <laughs> to be more serious for a moment for the for the technical directors and the people who are actually good at math unlike myself you know they're you know i think they're going to be able to use this to effectively calculate the amount of kind of uh vertical movement that the cars can have and that'll hopefully you know be a clear directive for them going forward in the hopes of making the racing safer for the drivers so i think it's good it's nice they did it Visually, it's insane, and I have no idea what they mean. But it's a nice, humbling moment just to remember how much intellectual energy goes into this sport and how, like, as much at a high level we talk about strategy or tactics or drivers do. It's like there is a lot of things that are just, for me, are totally unintelligible about the reality of, like, building and racing these cars. Oh, yes. Like, yeah, this is a highly technical sport in a way. And this is like these little glances into it that I love. I kind of love that. Like, they're very humbling. So, yeah, to me, I've always thought of Formula One as watching spaceships drive around. You know, like that's the closest comparison to me. And then when you see an equation like this, you're like, oh, that's the kind of math you got to know to put somebody on the moon or to make a car go 220 miles per hour and actually still stay drivable. So keep your oscillations low, people. Two millimeters. That's the sweet spot, as far as I'm concerned. That's the best. One other little piece of news with regards to this racing weekend. At the British Grand Prix, six protesters were charged after trying to invade the track during the opening lap. Now, obviously, the opening lap was shortened after Zhou Guan Yu's crash early on, so nothing came of this. But what was, uh, what was going on on the broadcast here, Graydon? I guess, you know, it, my understanding is is that they were climate protesters, which, you know, I I think there's a lot of validity in expressing concerns about the climate and perhaps F1's role in it. No toys about it. However, I would discourage 
all of you fans out there from running onto the track during a live race. It feels like a way you might hurt yourself. But one funny thing that I wanted to point out, you know, people running onto the track during a race, not very funny. Uh, climate change, not very funny. Kind of funny. At least five recent instances. This is from Engine Mode 11, who's like an ex-F1 systems engineer on uh, on Twitter. At least five recent instances. The 2000 German Grand Prix, the 2003 British Grand Prix, the 2004 Spanish Grand Prix, the 2015 Singapore Grand Prix, and this year's Grand Prix. Five races, f all with protesters that have run onto the track, all won by Ferrari. Ferrari cleans up when... People are out there trying to make a statement. So in that sense, maybe I should be encouraging. <laughs> As a Ferrari fan, I should be encouraging you guys to rush the track. It seems to be the secret sauce that the prancing horses need. So. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the motto that we're seeing quite a bit now? Carbon neutral by 2030, I think is uh, the F1 marketing slogan. That's a yeah. start. Uh, but man, a there's start. a lot of way to go with regards to climate change and Formula One. And a part of that, which we've talked about in the past, is maybe going to more of like a modular schedule where they're not having to crisscross the globe quite a bit because I think that's a huge part of yeah. the carbon emission problems, right, is the travel and the freight in between locations. Yeah, I actually, I mean, it's not as if the race, race days are exactly, you know, I mean, they're, I don't know, they're not the most eco-friendly event imaginable, but I actually do think that's right. It's the, sh it's the distance, the long haul, the shipping, the plane travel, these things required. I mean, these things are are definitely, I think, the source of the climate issues uh, that F1 is facing and is going to, you know, have to continue to make strides around, whether that's, you know, seeing increasingly electric components. They've already moved to the hybrid engines, right? Mm -hmm. You know, which they've already done, but will we see continued development there? Um, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, but it's certainly I'm, it, something they'll need to take seriously. And I appreciate the protesters bringing those, you know, bringing those issues to the forefront. I just want them to do it in a safe manner. That's all. Yeah. I did like seeing uh, Hamilton and signs, I think. I don't know if Vettel said anything. It wouldn't surprise me. Them basically saying, like, yeah, they should protest, but then kind of having to walk it back when Formula One's like, mm, yes, yeah. but maybe we don't want it to happen on the track, but... Uh, Lewis Hamilton <laughs> tends to take the right side on these things. So uh, that was encouraging to see at the very least. Got a little bit of news in the AlphaTauri world. Graydon, we've been sort of tracking Pierre Gasly, seeing what he might, if he might look to move teams, if he could find uh, a different seat. But nope, the Frenchman is going to be driving for AlphaTauri for the 2023 season, though. No news beyond that. You surprised at all, Graydon, that Gasly's back with AlphaTauri Alpha officially? I guess at the end of the day, I'm not that surprised. You know, they, they're, you know, Helmut Marco and some other folks from inside the broader Red Bull organization had made some comments about his prospects beyond the team, suggesting he didn't have other options out there. Who knows if that was true or not, or whether that was just PR maneuvering. But at the end of the day, you know, I think he's raced well there. He looks, you know, he's looked good. When the car's been up to snuff, he's been able to make the most of those opportunities. And the truth was, there was no seat for him at the top team, right? I mean, Perez is locked in. Obviously, Max isn't going anywhere for quite a long time. There was nowhere for him to move up within that organization. So just to hold serve, stay in the, stay in the series for another year, it's a good outcome. At the end of the day, I mean, there's only 20 F1 seats. If you're a driver and you're keeping a seat like you... You've got to be happy with that as an outcome, I think. 
So. Yeah, and it almost feels like to me that Gasly has to wait for a retirement to really move into a premier seat at this point. Like Lewis Hamilton's going to retire eventually. Fernando Alonso will retire eventually. I think going to Aston Martin would be a step back, but Vettel's going to retire eventually. The grid or the grid will ship shape shake out differently pretty soon here. We're going to get mixed up in not too many seasons. Gasly is still young enough right now. Personally, I would love to see him at McLaren. Like, I would love to see Lando and Gasly driving alongside each other. Who's the real number one there? He would be an improvement to me over Ricardo, but maybe he's waiting. Maybe he's waiting to try and get that number two seat back at Red Bull. Like, Perez is there for a little bit now, but I have to imagine that Gasly wants to be back there, or do you think he would prefer changing teams? I don't know what he prefers. I will say that... One interesting thing about Gasly's contract, at least his old contract, and so I'm 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 making an assumption that this applies to his new contract, but th- it applies to his current one, is, is that he actually technically is employed by Red Bull and can be assigned to either team. So if for some reason Red Bull did make a mid-season move, let's say an injury put somebody on the Red Bull team out of commission, or as we've seen in the past, they decided to fire someone mid-season. Maybe Perez is underperforming and they decide they've got to make a change. You know, Gasly can be moved in without any contractual or employment complexity. It's literally like he just walks across the paddock and hops in a different car and he can keep going and everything stays the same. So that is probably for him a carrot that wants to keep him involved as he's ever, he's that much closer to a top team as opposed to hopping over to somebody who's yet just another midfield team where he's now got to perform in the hopes of angling into a true top team. It's like, that's just, it's a messier, less clear path to a seat that's actually competing week in, week out for race wins than his path right now, which is to stay the course with Red Bull. So I, I think that's probably... If I had to speculate, that's the thinking. Yeah, when you put it that way, it's almost more like he needs uh, he needs somebody to beat Verstappen and Red Bull, and it needs to be because Perez isn't holding up his end as the number two, and they're like, oh, well, great. We've got another elite driver here yeah. ready to go. Also, in the AlphaTauri world, according to Red Bull advisor Helmut Marco, the team has hired a sports psychologist for Yuki Sonoda, basically to keep him calm on the team radio, quote Marco, We've organized the kind of psychologist to work with him because he continued to rant in the corner, so that inhibits performance. We should keep our emotions in check. Thank God Max Verstappen is calm. Our problem child in this respect, not only in this respect, is Sonoda. He explodes on the radio. You wouldn't believe it. I would believe it. I would First believe of all, it I would a, believe a little it. bit. <laughs> we all would believe it, yeah. But man, these are some pretty harsh words, honestly, uh, from Helmut Marco. Uh, a very blunt guy, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, I mean, Helmut uh, Marco is like. On this? I mean, Helmut Marco is like one of F1's number one haters. I just yes. like out there, absolutely like crapping on everybody all the time. So, who's like, anybody whose last name is not Verstappen, it's like he's more than ready to like say something crappy about. So, I think that there is so it, so in that sense, it's no surprise. It, it, it just shocked me a little bit because from the fan standpoint, it felt like things were going a lot better with Yuki. It felt like he was calmer, felt like he was driving better. It felt like he was more in control. I know this past weekend he made an error and that, you know, caused an incident and he was upset in the wake of that. They put it on the broadcast, you know, showed him, you know, kind of cursing over there, but he'd also just hit somebody. It's kind of 
kind of no surprise in that moment your emotions would run high. But I think I don't know. It just surprised me a little bit when I saw that that they that they perceive him to be a continued problem, and it made me a little worried about Yuki's tenure in the league because part of me feels like he's driving well, he's driving better, but is he driving well enough that they'll keep him if somebody as powerful in the org as Helmet Marco perceives him as a problem child? To me, it feels like there are so many talented drivers in the Red Bull stable outside of Formula One that, I don't know, it, it it made me anxious for his long-term prospects in formula one seeing that that's definitely the biggest red flag that went up for me yeah i think definitely that's a a solid read on this kind of putting yuki on notice like you know helmet marco saying take a look at max he freaks out on the radio but he's able to keep driving through it and his emotions despite the fact that he he can be a little bit of a temper boy he's able to use those to drive his car better where yuki maybe Maybe he just goes off the deep end a little, but certainly they're watching him. I think probably he scored points in his first race, right? After that, hasn't been very smooth sailing uh, for Yuki there at AlphaTauri, but we shall see. Staying in the Red Bull world, we got a tweet from Joe Pompliano. Red Bull is building its first ever road car, and it'll be designed by F1 engineer Adrian Newey. The RB17 will have more horsepower than the new Mercedes AMG 1. Of course it will. It only weighs about half as much. But the catch, Graydon, Red Bull is only building 50 of these cars, and they cost $6 million. Let's say you have $6 million to throw away. Would you drive a Red Bull road car? If I have, like, like if I have a $6 million car budget, is this my car? Is it more like I've got $6 million, and it doesn't matter what I do with it. Money is of no issue. Yeah, for you, $6 million is like $60. You're just going to go pick up yeah. a new play thing. Is it going to be a Red Bull car? The first Red Bull car? I mean, Adrian Newey, the guy who designed it, is a true car design legend. I mean, one of the legends of the field. So in that sense, it is very cool. Uh but I, but a Red Bull car, it still is like six. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too much of a hater here, but like it is $6 million for like an energy drink branded car. Yes. Which, which is precisely like right. Lot, which is a lot of money for, lest we forget, an energy drink branded car. An energy drink branded Honda, right? Like it's a right. Honda, all things considered. Honda I guess it'll last a long time. It's a Honda branded with like what like there's like a bunch of twenty one year olds at a cl- like given one time at a club right now in Berlin just like slamming Red Bulls and vodkas being like if only I could buy that car I mean that's who you're <laughs> like like guys so it's 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 so maybe not when when we think of it like that. Makes it but less I don't know, man. You drove you drove an Alfa Romeo for for not for a little bit of time. Uh, what did you feel cool like driving a car that was on the F1 grid that wasn't a Mercedes? Like a Mercedes, a luxury car, no doubt about it. But you see a Mercedes every time you drive on the road. Uh, sure, of course. Maybe it's an Atlas. Maybe it's an S class. Who knows? But you don't see an Alfa Romeo. You don't see a Renault on the road here. 
No, you, well, you don't see Renos here. You see a lot yeah, of Renos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Right. Um, I, I mean, driving my Alpha was fun to drive. It was exactly what I thought I, I thought it would be. It was very sporty and had great handling. It was incredibly finicky and was, and I had to take it into the shop all the time, like any good Italian vehicle. So it delivered on all of its promises. Uh, so I, but uh, now I own a very sensible dad car though. As a father, I had to trade it in for 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 a dad for dad life. Wait, I have to. Wait, I have to talk real fast. Noli Oli is claiming. Um, this is your second shout out yeah. of this of this episode from me that the the RB this RB seventeen will get you, um, you know, will get you access to the F one simulator, uh, in Milton Keynes. I will just say that. As a guy who who I once drove kind of like a like a lowbrow F1 simulator one time, like a pretty sophisticated high power one, and it was impossible. Like I put I put this car into the wall at Silverstone like like seventeen <laughs> times in one lap. I found it impossible yeah. to handle the vehicle. I feel like I I I actually think that that sounds cool, but in actuality, we would all sit in that simulator and be incapable of even handling the fake digital version of an F one car, much less a real one. Oh, one hundred percent. There's no way I would drive the Red Bull. Formula One car like a regular car because I would guarantee wreck it. I'm like you. I played uh, whatever, like F1 2019, the demo on PlayStation, and I was Valtteri Bottas driving into the back of everybody starting in front of me at the first corner of every turn. Like, I could not get past the first turn. I was smashing into everybody. I was like, well, I guess I'll just stick to Toyotas and Volkswagens. So you yeah. got to throw in the simulator as well because... Uh, guaranteed wrecks uh, if I'm the one behind the wheel. Our last little bit of news here, Graydon. Not really news, but Tom Cruise was at the race on Sunday. Saw that. We've seen him a few times. He was there celebrating his 60th birthday by watching Lewis Hamilton at Hamilton's home race there. I asked this question on Twitter. Who wins a Formula One race, Graydon? Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves, who was also in attendance this weekend, or Vin Diesel, who we've seen around uh, the Hamilton paddock quite a few times in the past. First of all, who do you think wins? Second of all, who do you think won the poll? Okay. I think who wins is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the guy who strikes me as having the... Uh, is like the guy who actually seems like he's the most skilled at a wide variety of like high speed things. Like, doesn't he actually pilot helicopters? And he has like MotoGP caliber motorcycles. And I do feel like he's the guy who actually would be the closest to potentially piloting an F1 car effectively and with any amount of speed. I, I gotta think it's that. However, if you this was your poll coming That's from Trey point. Kirby, I think. I think that people probably said Vin Diesel. I mean, that's probably what I feel like your fans would have said. Well, thank you for thinking that, Graydon. But unfortunately, the internet agrees with you. Tom Cruise, 49% of the vote. 33 for Keanu Reeves. Probably just because he's the coolest of the three. And only 18.8% for Vin Diesel. Wow. Have you ever even seen Keanu Reeves drive a car in a movie? Come on. He, he, Vin Diesel, I mean, this guy, we're, look at all these documentaries he's been in about street racing. Fast and Furious and Fast and <laughs> all these, all these, and we've so much evidence of his ability to handle a car. Yeah, and to think, and to think that he couldn't, he couldn't even, that he would be bested by Keanu Reeves. 
who has the fastest thing he's ever piloted is a bus in L.A., you know, so. Oh, that's a great point. A bus in L.A. And J.D. says he does drive a car in John Wick. So a nice car yeah, as sure well. He, he could handle the RB17. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Tom Cruise would win. The guy does like all of his own stunts for all these Mission Impossible stuff, right? Like he's just, yeah. he's hoping that if he hangs around the paddock long enough, somebody's like, Tom, you know, Russell can't race right now. Hop in the seat. And he would, he would fit. It would be no problem. That would be another problem for Vin Diesel, stuffing himself into an F1 car. Tom Cruise, I will say this for, first of all, Tom Cruise is the person of those three who's most likely to have already driven an F1 car in his life. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Cruise was like, I'm going to train for a really long time and then spend however many, like, even if it costs me a million dollars, I don't care. I'm going to drive an F1 car once. He would do that, which I kind of respect about him because he has mostly used his immense fame and wealth to say, I'm going to do really extreme things that aren't accessible to the average person, which is a more interesting thing to do with immense wealth than a lot of immensely wealthy people. So I'll I'll give him that. I think let them race. If you are a Formula One sicko and you're showing up to the races, we should have some sort of, you know, less high speed celebrity race out there. I saw like they they were pulling out all these old vintage cars after Silverstone. You know, you saw saw Nigel Mansell's car. Saw like Nigel Mansell's car, that kind of stuff. Maybe give them some slower cars and let's see them duke it out there on the track. That'd be great. I do think the one thing I always return to before we move on is like. The, the Top Gear guys, the British ones, there's a couple of versions of Top Gear now, but mm-hmm. the, and the, the old ones who used to do it um, before the show kind of blew up. There's one of the dude. I, I don't remember all the Top Gear guys' names off the top of my head, but they went out and raced uh, Formula Series cars once, and the guy was, was and the, the guy who is the most talented driver of the three of them, he raced a Formula 3 car, he could handle it, a Formula 2 car, he thought it was pretty difficult, and then his Formula 1 car... He spun out numerous times, barely made it around the track one time without spinning. This is a guy whose literally whole life is like car driving and is about and his his whole world is automobiles and he could barely handle these vehicles. So I do think sometimes we I I don't remember even Clarkson Hammond in May, as Greg is pointing out. I don't remember which one it was. I I could probably look it up. But there I don't you know, that was. I, that episode shocked me because I was like, oh, wow, I like I could never do this. This guy can't even this guy who drives all day can't even do this. All right. So. New rule. You have to be able to explain the oscillation formula to be able to get behind the wheel of a Formula One car. Then it's fine. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, throw another shrimp on the bobby, mate. We're going to Austria. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Back with no breaks. We got a back-to-back Jacks kind of schedule coming up. Graydon raced this past weekend. It was a banger, and we're back next weekend in Austria. But before we talk about the Austrian Grand Prix, let's take a quick look at the standings. Nothing has changed up top in the driver standings. We got Max Verstappen with a 34-point lead over his teammate Sergio Perez. A smaller lead, but still a lead nonetheless. Uh, Perez is followed by Leclerc in P3 with a smaller lead now over Carlos Sainz in P4. Sainz is followed by Russell, Hamilton, Norris, Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ocon, and Fernando Alonso in 10th place. In the team standings, Red Bull is still up top with a commanding lead over Ferrari in P2. Ferrari followed by Mercedes, McLaren, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, Haas, Aston Martin, and Williams rounding out the 10 teams on the grid. So we got Austria on the schedule for this weekend. Practice on Friday, quali on Saturday, racing on Sunday. The last time out, podium went Verstappen, Valtteri Bottas there with Mercedes last season, and Lando Norris, Graydon. The track is called the Red Bull Ring. Red Bull won last year. Should we be expecting anything different, or is this a Red Bull track through and through? Well, it... It probably is a track that favors Red Bull. It's not just that Red Bull won last year, but, you know, in the long and storied history of this track, which, or this kind of race, which goes all the back all the way back to 1970, Max Verstappen has the most wins here, which is four. So that, I, it might be the only track where he has the most wins. Mm. Uh, I'm not 100% positive, but there, there aren't a ton. It's not like Lewis or Michael Schumacher or something like that, right, where there's just tons and tons of tracks where he's the guy with the most wins with them. So clearly he's very comfortable here. Clearly he he knows how to get it done here. It is a track that is, I would say, is like a fairly balanced track in the sense that it, um, you know, there's, it's, it's about average fuel consumption, about average, you know, in terms of top speed, about average in terms of time full throttle is deployed. It feels to me like it's like a very balanced even track which i think for me will show you know uh will show the true cars themselves rather than like a very extreme wide open or very slow track where maybe it might wildly favor one of the setups this is just like uh and for me it always makes for great races like i love you know i uh i love it we've seen some great action here we've actually seen some incredible action between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen here in the past where they've battled very, very closely. Very dramatic ending to this race in 2019 between the two of them where they made contact. So it would be exciting to get uh, something similar again this year. Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. I think they raced uh, back-to-back weeks last year, or at least back-to-back races uh, at the Red Bull Ring 
during the 2021 season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did the Styria, the Styrian Grand Prix yeah, that's as right. well, just to make up for like lost races elsewhere here, right? So that was... So yeah. it's a it's a Red Bull track, no doubt about it. Like you're saying, Ferrari and Leclerc and Verstappen have had some nice uh, dust-ups in the past. Is there anybody else you could see pulling an upset? Like, does anybody have the right car for it? Should we expect more from Mercedes once again? You know, I'll be interested... You know, I I think the Mercedes car does probably look, while it looks good and it looks like they're making big improvements, you know, the, it seems like we saw in some previous instances earlier this year, Mercedes looked its best in tracks that were really wide open where they could run really low downforce packages because that was what was best for their porpoising issues. Now, have they solved those in other ways? I don't know. The car has gone through so much evolution that it's almost hard to say, but this would probably be less of a good track than Silverstone for Mercedes. It's probably less ideal for them. But in general, I think, you know, it's something where setup here is important. You see its uh, elevation is very high up in the mountains, and that actually is a huge factor for F1 cars, the density of the air and things like that, right? And um, so I think there's, like, a lot of things here where setup will just be really key, and it's not so much about you know, oh, it's overwhelmingly going to advantage this team as much as there's still a lot of work to be done between now and Saturday uh, to see who wins. It is a weekend where it is going to be a sprint race, I believe, right? So that's, you know, so that throws another sort of curveball in there in terms of how the grid's going to shake out come Sunday morning. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking with you about it, but we're going to have to figure out when to recap everything because I'm taking some time off next week. So we'll figure all that out. And in the meantime, follow Graydon on Twitter at Mr. Gordian. That's MR Gordian. Uh, NBA season's over, man. You're going to be watching Summer League? Are you that much of a sicko? I mean, I'll tune a little bit. Yeah. Why not? You know, I, I like got, my boys. My boys in San Antonio got a lot of fresh faces out there. Yeah. So, you know, so I want to see how some of these kids can do. You know? I do like that uh, the rookie Sohan was his name, right? Uh, I like that they gave him Dennis Rodman's number. Uh, yeah. Dennis Rodman's number 10, considering he's a hair dye guy as well. That was pretty yeah. cool. Uh, so we'll see how we'll see how that goes. Make sure you follow No Dunks on social media at No Dunks Inc. Anywhere and everywhere on the internet: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, wherever. Send us, me and Graydon, some F1 emails at No Dunks at theathletic.com. You can subscribe to the Athletic at theathletic.com/slash No Dunks. Uh, speaking of No Dunks, we will be back this weekend to recap some Las Vegas shenanigans. And if you happen to be in Las Vegas this weekend, we got a big get together at the Starboard Tack on sev- at 7 p.m. local time on Saturday. I don't know if that's where uh, like the the Formula One track is going to be going, but I'm going to try and try and figure out where on the strip that thing's going, so that maybe me and you, Graydon, next year we're not talking summer league. We're talking straight up F1 races. I'm excited. Wild times. uh, But we'll talk about it uh, in the future for now. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Stay speedy, people. Vroom, vroom. (laughs) 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.